Hi there, everybody. This is Kevin Briggs, and this is episode two of the Liberation Tapes podcast. I'm really happy you're listening. Thanks so much for being here. The title of episode two of the Liberation Tapes is Take Me Disappearing, Bob Dylan's Early Songs of Liberation. This uh, topic comes from the fact that uh, this Friday, May 8th, 2020, started at 8.30 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. I'm having a live uh, show, basically, a concert where I'm playing guitar and I'm singing for 60 to 90 minutes, live streaming on Facebook in an event that I created. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the second uh, concert of this kind that I've had. The first one was about two weeks ago and it was called Mandolin Meditations. And it was really well attended. People seemed really appreciative of it. So it just got me thinking about having another one. And I got to thinking about how everyone is sort of collectively hoping that all this isolation and all this uh, tension and, and sort of worry that's, that's going around, that in some way um, it's all going to come to some kind of end where it's just not that way anymore. And in that way we're... It's like we're seeking liberation, really, from what our current situation is. So, right there, I was like, I'd like to do some. I'd like to put together a kind of show that would that would feature and maybe explore or maybe even inspire people around the concept of liberation. Uh, so that's how. <clears throat> that's that's why I'm having it. Is is just a be helpful towards others and to offer this thing and, and certainly to have fun uh, producing it and performing it. <clears throat> and the idea really comes from this shared sense uh, of seeking liberation that I think a lot of us are feeling right now. Aside from all that, why Bob Dylan? And this is a question that I could really go on for a long, long time about, but I'm not going to do that because um, the whole purpose of this second episode of the Liberation Tapes is not to talk about why Bob Dylan was the choice. <laughs> he was the choice, and there are some reasons why. And I think I can just start as broadly as possible. Um, I'm not the biggest Bob Dylan fan in the world, but I am one of the biggest Bob Dylan fans in the world. I mean, there are some pretty nutty Bob Dylan fans that are just super super out of their minds into Bob Dylan and more power to him um and I don't know if I'm quite on that level but I'm on a level for sure where um I'm I'm big fanboy fanboy Bob Dylan like uh, you heard it here that's definitely the truth um and so I have a really uh, personal interest and a personal liking uh, you know Bob Dylan and his music I'll just say when I was a kid I was I was uh, really, really into the music and learning about him. I think I read four different biographies. At one point, I had all the Bob Dylan albums that you could buy. Um, that was right around whatever he had in the mid-90s till about till when he put out Time Out of Mind. I, I had all that stuff, all of it. And uh, being a musician, there was a point in time when I, I, mean, I started learning how to play because of being such a big Bob Dylan fan and then there was a point in time when all I was playing was Bob Dylan music right when I was learning how to play guitar and so that's a big reason why Bob Dylan for this but I think the other reason is sort of aside from me and and my fanboy status I think um, the other reason is when you talk about the concept of liberation and how it shows up in popular music in the 20th and even 21st century, there are very few people who so just go so directly at it like Bob Dylan does. Um, you know, he, in a sense, a lot of Dylan's music, that's, that's what it's all about is being liberated from some situation whether it's something really broad that he's <clears throat> writing and singing about or whether it's 
a specific story like the Ballad of Hollis Brown. Um, all of it has to do with liberation from something. It could be injustice, heartbreak, uh, tragedy, um, psychosis, these different things. And so Dylan is really the perfect choice for a show about liberation. And it's not because any of his music needs to be interpreted or anything like that. It's that the songs so clearly speak for themselves. And it really selecting the songs was quite easy. And I will say each of the 12 songs that I'll be playing this Friday are from his first seven albums. And these are his early to mid 60s albums each one of which was better than the one prior and starting with free Willin, which was the second album they were all great all of them i mean so he had his first album called bob dylan which wasn't received super well but it does have song to woody on it which is amazing and but it only sold i think five thousand copies at the time and then you get into freewheeling, and that's where you have all your blown in the wind, don't think twice, hard rain's gonna fall, and from there on out, he just blows up. And those first seven albums, for me, uh, from this Dylan fan right here, are what it's all about. Even if he never recorded anything after Blonde on Blonde, um, which was the seventh album, <clears throat> he still would go down as this amazing contributor to popular music. Uh, he certainly did great things afterwards, but those seven albums were the, the thing that, that made the rest of it possible. That's for sure. So I love them. And I'm just gonna go ahead right now and go through the set list and I'm gonna talk about why that song uh, was selected. And you know, so I'll talk a little bit around the context of it and all that kind of thing. So <clears throat> the first of the 12 songs, and this is, goes right in chronological order from his first album, again, self-titled Bob Dylan, all the way up to the seventh album, Blonde on Blonde. So they just go right in order, and there's, there are about two songs from each album when possible. And you'll see what I mean as I go through the descriptions or my explanations. The first song is Song to Woody. And Song to Woody is on his self-titled album, Bob Dylan. It's one of two original songs that appear on the album, which is ironic for Bob Dylan because everybody knows him as this amazing songwriter. But when he put out his first album, he was deeply steeped in folk and blues and the Greenwich Village scene, opened for John Lee Hooker at some point back in the day, Dylan was like a roots music, country blues, folk singing fella as a young man. And so when he put out his first album, it was primarily cover songs, except for two that he wrote. The song that for me stands out the most is Song to Woody. The reason I like it is because it's about him going to, to meet Woody Guthrie. Or really, it's not really about that, I guess, but it's it's like a, a song that he's singing directly to Woody Guthrie, who he was able to meet in his lifetime. When Dylan first arrived in New York City from Minnesota, one of the things that he definitely wanted to do was meet Woody Guthrie. <clears throat> and Dylan, of course, was really a great musician, and so he started getting work and getting himself established in New York fairly quickly. There's, there are a bunch of stories about how he was homeless for a little while and was sleeping on people's couches and whatever precarious situations. But I, I would say quite quickly, he gained popularity and was, was succeeding as a musician in New York. And so as that all came and he was getting tied more deeply into the folk community there in New York, um, he inevitably was having an increased opportunity to meet Woody Guthrie, which he did. Now, the thing is, at the time, Woody Guthrie was in the hospital, but you could go visit him because, I mean, I don't know what sort of level of celebrity Woody Guthrie was while he was alive. Um, it certainly wasn't like uh, Frank Sinatra or something like that. And so he was just there in the hospital in New York and would take visitors. 
Um, so, of course, this young 19, 20-year-old Bob Dylan guitar in hand was go and meet Woody Guthrie. And part of what he would do is sing Woody Guthrie his own songs. So Woody would be like, hey, can you play This Land Is Your Land? And Dylan would be like, sure, and he'd do that. And that's it would just be Dylan was this Woody Guthrie jukebox. He could play any Woody Guthrie song. <clears throat> but eventually, of course, Dylan ended up writing a song because that's really what his calling was, even if maybe he didn't know it quite at the time. And the song was called Song to Woody. And it was just a song that he would then sing at Woody Guthrie's hospital bedside. And Woody liked it so much that he would start to request it from Dylan. So, of course, you can imagine how thrilled Dylan is. He's sitting there at his idol's hospital bed playing a song he wrote for him that his idol's like, loving and requesting that he keeps singing. So that's pretty cool. <clears throat> and uh, when they asked Woody what he thought of Bob Dylan, because Woody Guthrie lived a few more years and Dylan you know, went on to become super famous. And when they asked Woody Guthrie, he said, what do you think of Bob Dylan? He's like, well, he's not a very good songwriter, but he sure can sing. <laughs> and uh, that's what he thought. He thought he was a good singer and a lousy songwriter, which, of course, is uh, not really the way uh, maybe a lot of you listeners out there uh, have come to understand Bob Dylan, me included. Uh, however, um, I do think he's a really good singer, and I have all kinds of reasons for that, but that is another podcast episode. In fact, I'm going to write that down. Um, podcast episode for the liberation tapes why bob dylan is a good singer that'll be a good podcast so keep your eyes out for that one but in the meantime uh back to the set list so there's song to woody and the reason i think it has something to do with liberation is because dylan has set out from his normal world he's accepted the call to adventure he's on the journey he is he's engaged in the path and the only way to do it is to liberate yourself from your ordinary world and go find what's new. So that whole bit about meeting Woody Guthrie and getting to sing him a song and, and that he wrote and all these different things, that's, that's pretty cool. And so uh, you only get to do that if you're first of all able to be out and about and go to where you need to go and interact with other people. And so uh, I wanted to make sure I chose something off Dylan's first album Song to Woody is definitely the choice. The second song in the set list is called Let Me Die in My Footsteps. Now, this is actually uh, a Dylan, I don't know if you'd quite call it a B-side, but definitely an outtake because it didn't actually appear on any studio albums. But it was done, and I asked for forgiveness prior to saying this to any Dylan enthusiast who knows maybe a little bit more about the, the history of the outtakes of his albums, but this was done during the free will and sessions. Let me die in my footsteps. Um, and the free will and sessions, as, as, as anyone familiar with Dylan can say, uh, were just Dylan just blew up after the, the free, I mean, blown in the wind, went to number one, not his version of it, Peter Paul and Mary's version. But then Don't Think Twice was on there. A Hard Rain's Are Gonna Fall. Masters of War was on there. Girl of the North Country. I mean, there were so many good songs on that. And so Let Me Die in My Footsteps didn't quite make it. And I'll also say that Let Me Die in My Footsteps is pretty apocalyptic. Uh, but what basically it's about is it's about this person singing who um, refuses to go into hiding if there's a nuclear war. Because you have to remember this is the early 1960s. There were all kind of tensions going on. Um, this is right around the time that the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. And there was a real anxiety around nuclear war. Um, and so the message in the song is, I'm not gonna go under the ground. Um, I'm staying up here with my head held high. I'm free from whatever that fear is. And so that's Let Me Die in My Footsteps. The third song on the list is Blowing in the Wind. And you could, you could say, now this is the second of three songs that are associated with the freewheeling, but there really wasn't a second choice that I wanted to make for, for 
from his first album, Bob Dylan. I just wanted song to Woody. So um, there's one song for Bob Dylan and then the album. And then there are three songs for Free Willin, the second of which is Blowing in the Wind. And Blowing in the Wind is as, mu- as close as you get to their an American classic uh, as Bob Dylan ever wrote. And that's just because it had so much commercial success thanks to the Peter, Paul, and Mary version. And it's a wonderful example of Dylan being um, sort of elusive, a little bit abstract, not really saying anything directly, but implying so much. And at such an early stage, I mean, really, he's at the front end of of what is going to, is just this absolutely incredible run of seven albums that just completely changed everything in popular music. Um, But Blowing in the Wind is, uh, you know, it's a beautiful song. Dylan said he wrote it in 10 minutes um, and he kind of disregarded it when he was younger. He didn't understand why people liked that one so much. But I think he he gained some wisdom around that as he um, as he got older. Um, And so this song is just uh, basically a series of questions about how many injustices have to occur before it's too many injustices, before it's too much. So how, how many experiences do we have to have for something before we have learned our lesson or before we learn about that thing? And so it's Dylan proposing these kinds of questions and then not offering an answer. I'm just saying the answer is blowing in the wind. Um, and so it's a lot to think about. Uh, and I think maybe this is one of those songs where it derives its most meaning from people uh, projecting themselves into the lyrics. Because I, for me, it, to say the answer is blowing in the wind means one thing to somebody else's, you know, it'll have a different meaning. Um, I think maybe there's, it's been interpreted as having a little bit of a sense of meaninglessness to it, meaning there is no answer, there's no way we can possibly know. But it's also been interpreted in a more hopeful way, which is what I, how I choose to see it, which is that the answer is not so tough. And we have the answer. Uh, If we talk about the wind, the wind is... uh, as a, a natural process, it's part of part of the natural world, just like we are. And so, I think we ha- we all have it in us. And I think Dylan intended to communicate that it's possible to know the answer, and that it's po- people are good enough to to be able to determine what it is. So to me, it's a message of hope. <clears throat> the fourth song is also from the Freewheelin', and this is the last of the three Freewheelin' era songs, but the fourth song is A Hard Rain Is Gonna Fall. And this, to me, is the first Dylan epic. It's the first song where Dylan just clicks into some mode and and just goes crazy. And what I mean by crazy is he he just explodes. He, he blows up. He's, like, locked in to some field of writing or something that doesn't seem possible uh and it's just one image after another um of what did you see what did you hear what did you think just asking all again proposing all these questions to different characters that he's creating but they're all characters that we might know and in each question that's posed to these different characters there's a question around some kind of truth of human existence that's occurring at the time. And some, always with Dylan, a sense of injustice. Um, and so it's just one image like rattling off after another. And just, I, I don't think there's any, anything repetitive about it, but maybe the process, the repetition of the process of like image after image after image and sort of a, a repeating chord structure on the guitar it just has this sense of really, really building and delivering this strong message. And of course, it all means something together when you, when you consider it all together. Um, so, sense of liberation, 
Absolutely. This song is all about, hey, there's all these screwed up things going on, and really they're happening right in front of our faces. And actually a lot of us help perpetuate these really screwed up things. Um, but just so we're all aware that this is all going to come crashing down because what it's led us to are things such as the Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, which the song many thought was a direct response to the Cuban Missile Crisis with a hard rain being nuclear war. And so Dylan's saying, look, there's all these screwed up things going on. We're capable of understanding that and doing something about it, but we don't. And the end of the world also might be here, like the true apocalypse where we're all victims and, and casualties in a, in a nuclear war. So this song is all about, hey, let's be honest here and do something about this. Let's be free of this worry, this, this apocalyptic fear that we're all living under. Uh, so it's pretty heavy, but it's also all about liberation. So that is the fourth song. The fifth song is a Dylan classic, uh, The Times They Are Changing. So this song is, is so unique and it's so much a, just a quintessential early Dylan song that it actually is pretty popular, I think, just because of that or something. It was certainly a popular song back when he re recorded and released it. I don't know like, what number of the chart it went up to, but it was a popular one. Um, that many people knew and it's just sort of an overarching um, message to people who represent uh, some kind of old way of thinking it's like the old guard basically and he, it's a warning it's a message and kind of a warning to those people like there's something going on with young people today that you're not aware of and you're gonna get if, if you don't get out of the way and let us take over and, and do our thing, then it's going to be really bad for you because you're going to get left behind and you're not going to understand and you're going to have this massive fall from grace. So why don't you just get out of the way and let the young people take over is essentially what Dylan's saying. And the times are changing. And so it's about a liberation from the old way of doing things. It's uh, and. And don't we, and I'm, I'm not going to say too much about this, but don't we certainly see a lot of interesting developments about the old way of doing things. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's quite a bit. And so that's what this song is about. And it's about, again, with Dylan, diagnosing what the thing is, being upfront about the fact that it's being perpetuated on purpose and then saying, but it shouldn't be that way. We should be free from this source of suffering, essentially. Um, and I should say that this song, The Times They Are Changing, is the first song of two songs from the album, The Times They Are Changing, which was Dylan's third studio album. And, and Dylan's, by this time, Dylan was like the king of folk, they were calling him. He was completely popular. He was the the golden boy of folk music. He was Dayton Joan Baez. They were going around doing duos. They were going to Newport Folk Festival. He was always the, the, uh, the headliner of the whole festival. I mean, it was, it was super folk uh, stardom that Dylan was having. So he releases the album, The Times They Are Changing, which starts off track one with The Times They Are Changing. A lot of the songs are quite specific about different... Uh, what Dylan was doing at the time was he would take news stories and he would write songs about what was going on in the uh in the news stories so that's where something like the ballad of hollis brown comes from which is on the times they are changing um and and, and other thing and other songs uh, on there and not on there <clears throat> a lot of good songs um only a pawn in their game is great uh with god on our side is great boots of spanish leather is great um there's some awesome songs on on the times they are changing but I thought the if, if I'm really being honest about which one speaks the most closely to the concept of liberation, it's when the ship comes in. Uh, and this is a song, this is Dylan the folky in, in his, at his best is, is really what it is because it's a literary gem. I mean, first of all, the, 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 the lyrics and the poetry in it are amazing, but this is Dylan, um, 
you know, writing a folk song. He did it so it kind of represents like an Irish song of victory kind of thing. And it's all about, the whole song is about being liberated, essentially. When the ship comes in, that's when we'll be liberated. After the, the waters are going to rise and all these things are going to happen, but we're going to persevere. And when our ship comes in, then we're going to be free. And so that's the second song off of uh, the album, The Times Era Change. And, and like I said, it's Dylan at his, his folky best uh, literary masterpiece and also uh, kind of writing it in the Irish folk idiom or maybe like Celtic idiom or wh whatever that kind of music would be called. So it's also Dylan, the musician, also being in a pretty good spot. So uh, that was just awesome. I can't wait to sing that. The next song then is kind of what I would call a tweener song between the times there are a change in, in Dylan's next album, which is another side of Bob Dylan. And what you have going on is times there are change in Dylan's like the king of folk. Uh, he's on top of the whole scene, all this stuff. But Dylan, <clears throat> what's happening with him is he's changing and he's not wanting to be the king of folk or like the voice of a generation these aren't titles he came up with he didn't want to market around them he he was he rejected those titles i thought they were like cute basically it was it was so people it was for the people more than it was for him he didn't he didn't associate with it so after the album the times are changing dylan goes he's still only solo acoustic guitar but he starts all the songs are, are about him he's at the center of the story he's writing about himself uh, which is not what the folkies valued the highest what they valued were topical songs and they valued uh, kind of this approach to collectivity and so Dylan was like yeah I'm the king of folk uh, I know I'm being super successful like this is all going great, but I'm just not feeling folk music the same way I was. And so I have all these other songs that I've been writing that mean a whole lot to me, and I'm just going to do that. So he does that in Another Side of Bob Dylan. So this song, this uh, seventh song on the list, seven of 12 songs, Lay Down Your Weary Tune, is a song that has a foot in both camps. It has its foot in Bob Dylan, King of Folk, and it has its foot in Another Side of Bob Dylan, which is the next album um, where Dylan is writing about himself. And so this out, it's also important to say lay down your weary tune was not included on any of these studio albums, but it's a song that falls right there uh, in the mix uh, right about that time period. And I think it couples very well with what the next song on the list will be. Uh, but what I want to do is say a few more things about lay down your weary tune this is a song where essentially Dylan is just saying, turn to music to soothe yourself. Lay down your weary tune and rest yourself beneath the strength of strings. And that's his recommendation. And so you have Dylan at a really heightened poetic level throughout the song, basically comparing various uh, American music instruments to different sounds or even processes in nature with the one unifying thread being come take a rest with music and everything's going to be better so certainly some liberation coming through um clearly in that message now the the, the song that that's coupled with is really the the one and only song that's from another side of Bob Dylan that I have on the list, and that's Chimes of Freedom. Now, Chimes of Freedom is, whereas I said that Hard Rain's Gonna Fall is uh, maybe the first Dylan epic that we get, there are some, some great, great songs on the Times Era Changing, and the other songs on another side of Bob Dylan are great. But Chimes of Freedom, I would consider to be really the second kind of epic song that Dylan writes and way different than Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. He's talking about personal things. He's clearly evolved in his, his, his ability to communicate through using imagery and similes and metaphors. Um, 
And essentially what Chimes of Freedom is, is a song about how he and someone he's hanging out with seems like an intimate connection are, are essentially just hanging out or even maybe stuck outside or under a shelter during a lightning storm. And what happens is the thunder and lightning become these symbols throughout the song for freedom. And all these nat these everyday processes or all these different characters that are, are at any given point in time existing in cultures and societies, all these underserved people, all these injustices that are, that are going on, um, they're all something that exists outside what Dylan calls the chimes of freedom, which he's hearing in the thunder and lightning storm that's going on. And somehow focusing so intently on that natural imagery puts all of our human cultural and societal concerns in a certain kind of perspective. Um, so Dylan in this, in this song, like the transcendentalist, just like Emerson is turning to natural imagery to really deliver the punch on what it is he's trying to say. Like, it's like, it's almost like there's no other way to do it other than the way he does it in Chimes of Freedom. So awesome, awesome song. Glad that that one's on the list. Uh, the next two songs are from Dylan's album, Bringing It All Back Home. This is the infamous Dylan album that kicks off with Subterranean and Homesick Blues. Dylan is electric and has a band behind him and he's playing rock and roll. And uh, of course this coincides with when he went electric at the Newport Folk Festival. Um, and and he changed, he just has flipped his career on its head or maybe he's flipped the expectations of the folkies on its head because he's like, nope, I'm doing this now. Everything's changing for me. Like I got to get going. And he, that he does. And uh, man, when Dylan goes electric, it's just everything just continued to, to, to get so different. Uh, and his impact on other musicians is a lot of what I'm talking about there. So the longer this went on in the 60s, these first seven albums, the bigger impact he's having on those around him, a real musician's musician. Um, <clears throat> and so you get into bringing it all back home and there are, again, amazing, amazing songs to choose from. Not only do you have Subterranean Homesick Blues, you have Gates of Eden, um, you have Bob Dylan's 115th Dream, uh, you have It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, and then you, but none of those are what I chose. What I chose is, first and foremost, Mr. Tambourine Man. And the reason I chose Mr. Tambourine Man uh, is because it's probably one of my favorite Dylan songs. Uh, and it wasn't for a while because I'm just like, yeah, that song's pretty good or whatever, but, you know, there's that Birds version and, you know, the Roger McGuinn's pretty cool, but I don't know if I'm that into the Birds. And there's is that kind of thing. And so... I didn't really pay much attention to Mr. Tambourine Man because I just wasn't into the Birds version and then I didn't give Dylan's version a chance for a long time. And then it was it was like 20 years ago. I, I can I can almost remember like exactly when it was. I was listening to it and I'm just like my god, this song is amazing. And what I thought was so amazing about it is I just think it's uh, Dylan uses really sophisticated imagery. He's again saying something that it's not exactly clear what he means, but he's definitely looking for some kind of relief in the song um, to be free of something, even if it's just the expectations of the world. You know, at this time, Dylan is like wildly famous and he kind of thrives off it. Obviously, I think you have to, to live that type of life. But there's also something about it that he disdains. You know, he doesn't like not having, not being able to just kind of walk around and honestly not be accosted. And he, uh, and so when I, knowing that about his, his sort of life at the time, when I hear some of these songs that he's singing on these, these last couple albums, I, I hear sometimes the voice, you know, of a person who increasingly has drawn inward 
because there are so many external forces pulling at him and, and sort of wanting him. So he kind of wants free from that stuff, but because he doesn't really get free from it and he still hasn't to this day, um, he, he's, the, his response is to sort of turn inward and kind of almost have like a private world or something that's separate from this character persona that's Bob Dylan. Um, and so when I hear Mr. Tambourine Man, I mean, that's where the title of the whole show for Friday comes from, Take Me Disappearing. It's the, it's the first couple words in one of his great verses from Mr. Tambourine Man, just take me away from here. I just want to go. And some people have interpreted the song as being about drugs or Mr. Tambourine Man's drug dealer and that's, he just, he just wants to get his fix so he's free. But Dylan wasn't doing those kinds of drugs at the time. And the song is way too, way too personal in, in, in what I think are all these other ways for it, for the whole crux of the song to really be about somebody other than himself. Because that's what Dylan was writing about at the time, in, in, in large part, was himself. So Mr. Tambourine Man is a, is, is a great example of that, and I hear it as really just a cry for liberation. So that's why it's included. Now the second song off of Bringing It All Back Home is, <clears throat> if Mr. Tambourine Man, I, I, do, I wouldn't quite put it in the realm of an epic, although it's really, really close. But I'll say this next one is definitely the third like epic song that Dylan wrote and I mean epic in terms of how long it is like the quality of the lyrics and just how different new it is and all this kind of thing and this second song from bringing it all back home is called it's all right ma I'm only bleeding <clears throat> and it's a really hard song to describe because it just uh covers so much it's it's a it's a really long song and to sing it is quite challenging because it's there are just a lot of words and there's a lot going on i mean the meaning of it is super dense he basically catalogs all kinds of sort of twisted and strange and shallow and superficial and ironic um dark unfortunate things that go on in our culture and our society especially i think here in america as what he's talking about <clears throat> and although he never gets quite so specific to where to where it, he pushes the listener away um you know it, it is kind of about all these 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 things um, and that's actually something i wanted to elaborate on this song is a wonderful example of dylan's ability to write about something really intense and really powerful and meaningful but in a way that invites the listener in to not only understand what he's talking about, but to share in the experience. Because that's what Dylan does, is he draws out the personal life of the listener and brings it into the song. And then these songs, if, for people who, who are into Dylan and who've, who, in my opinion, um, who have really given it a concerted effort to like, sit down and listen to just what is this Bob Dylan thing all about and to like really give your full attention to a couple of his songs that are great songs. Um, it's like a, 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 a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. So It's All Right Mom Only Bleeding uh, is just one of these epic songs where he, he just goes on and on and it's kind of rock and roll and it's a little dark but it's super like insightful and cutting and uh, it's all about being freed from the shackles of the ironies in our, in our world that ultimately cause people to suffer. Um, heavy, heavy song, all about liberation. Now the next two songs are the only songs from their respective albums. So there'll be one song from Dylan's sixth album at the time, Highway 61 Revisited, and one song from his seventh album at the time, Blonde and Blonde. The reason why there are only one song, I'm, I'm choosing one song from each album, is because those songs are really long. And they're both what I would consider to be epic Dylan songs. And the other reason why is because Dylan is at the height of his literary prowess at the time. Everything there is about 
Bob Dylan that led to him getting the Nobel Prize in Literature and this reputation for being this amazing lyricist and author, um, really not quite novelist, but, but just amazing writer, culminates in Highway 61 Revisited and Blonde on Blonde. He has flashes of it all throughout his early, um, his early um, albums. Even Song to Woody shows glimpses of it. Um, but by the time he gets to Highway 61 Revisited, he's peaking. He's like way peaking. He hasn't quite gone into um, some of the heavier drugs that he started to use as, as, uh, as time went on during, during that period. Um, but he's, I mean, he's certainly doing those things. Uh, and his music, I think, reflects it and his words do. But he's also well within his artistic I don't, I don't know if control is the right word but he's still in his seat of power as an artist like deliberately inventing and creating and forming and recording and sharing these amazing things that he comes up with um but from highway 61 revisited it is worth saying that this is the album with like a rolling stone on it it's got it has um queen jane approximately just like tom thumb blues Tombstone Blues from a Buick 6. It takes a lot to laugh, a train to cry. I don't know if I said Ballad of a Thin Man or not, but Ballad of a Thin Man. Highway 61, uh, the song that he wrote, where he plays the, it's not a kazoo, but it's a thing that's kind of like a kazoo. It's Johnny Winters made the song really famous. But the song that I'm choosing off of this one, that is the ultimate representation of, not the ultimate, but is a great representation of, of song about liberation from highway 61 revisited is desolation row um this is the song that comes up most often when people are talking about bob dylan the nobel prize and literature winner or bob dylan's literary masterpiece uh, i certainly think he's he's had a couple but desolation row is by far <clears throat> If it's not the clear, the clear cut, sort of most sophisticated writing Dylan Dylan had done to date, um, it's right up there with whatever is. I mean, it's right up there with "It's All Right, Ma," "Chimes of Freedom," "Hard Rain's Gonna Fall." These are all the epic songs. Uh, so, "Desolation Row" is again a, a tough song to describe what it's about, but it's basically Dylan painting painting literary pictures for us, using all kinds of imagery about all kinds of different characters that live in difficult situations, desolate situations. <clears throat> and he uh, just goes through them one after the other. I mean, the song is almost, I think, 12 minutes long. Um, I don't know if there's 13 verses or if it's more than that. I feel like it's 13. But it's just verse after verse and image after image and literary reference liter after literary reference. There's biblical references in there. And he's essentially saying um, there are places in our world that we don't often talk about, that some a lot of us are afraid to even look at, but that exist with real people going through real lives, experiencing all kinds of, of crazy things. And then there's even things that are right in front of us and are quote unquote normal uh, or everyday lives that we don't think of as being twisted, but that really are. And that what we need to do is have an awareness around these things because we're all living under a veil of untruth and even dishonesty. And the way to live truthfully in honesty is to know that there's a veil and choose to make your efforts to see through it. And Desolation Row has something to do with that and all this beautiful music and all this beautiful poetry that Dylan uh, comes out with. It is one of my, if not my favorite Dylan songs, and uh, I just am really happy to play it. So now the last song, that was the 11th song, the 12th and last song on the list comes off of Blonde on Blonde, which is Dylan's seventh album. And this is an album that some people said was too good almost too good to be marketable, that there wasn't a bad song on it. There wasn't like a clear choice for what should be the single that's released. Uh, because Dylan is just, 
he's just in this incredible space at the time. Now he's also burning out really, really fast. And I think it was, it was all he could do to even, to even record this album. Uh, and when he did it, there was, there's just a lot of stories about, uh, different drugs. Sorry. I got a little notification about the time left, but we're good. Uh, he was into lots of different drugs at the time. And, um, was in a hugely creative outburst, but uh, he um, thankfully got it all recorded. And honestly, recorded when he was in that frame of mind because that's what made it so just outrageous. I mean, it was just, just this music that like never nobody had been recording before. Uh, so on this, you get uh, Rainy Day Women, which is, of course, Everybody Must Get Stoned. You have Pledge in My Time, Just Like a Woman, uh, you have uh, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands on there. I Want You is on there. Just tons and tons of... It's a double album, too. So it's Dylan was in this huge productive space. And not only is each album, you know, arguably better than the last, but each album is arguably is likely longer than the last one. So his output is just incredible. And the song on there that... I feel like I read somewhere was one of Dylan's, one of his own favorite songs that he's written. Like the song that in the mid sixties that he was the most proud of where he was like going around and talking to people about this song that he wrote that like kind of blew his mind when he wrote it is Visions of Johanna. And Visions of Johanna is along with Desolation Row is another song that is right at the top of the list when you talk about Dylan and winning a Nobel Prize for literature. <clears throat> um, and so that's the final song about liberation uh, that I want to sing. And the reason I love that song <clears throat> is certainly about the message. But it's just Dylan at his elusive, sometimes absurd, abstract, but, but also somehow very, very clear best. Um, he's not speaking about even anything that necessarily has a literal meaning. There's like not a story going on. It's just some, what seemed to me to be loosely knit observations about different things that are all relieved in some way by these visions of Johanna that he's having these, these visions. And really what he's talking about has something to do with love. Um, that again, it's like Dylan painting us a picture of all these crazy things going on, all these things that a lot of us are running around perpetuating sometimes and maybe often without even knowing it. And it's the source of suffering, but there's a way to have relief from it. And even as Dylan was spiraling into drug addiction and was felt like he was trapped by his fame and Dylan's uh, turning more and more inside of himself to the point where it's like he has a private world that he lives in that has nothing to do with his exterior appearance. Uh, it's something that Mike Bloomfield noticed. That was Dylan's guitar player when he went electric um, at um, Newport Folk Festival <clears throat> and also played some, well, was an incredible blues guitar player and also played music on uh, Dylan's early electric albums. Mike Bloomfield said, the Dylan that he knew back when he was making those albums is a different Dylan that he met up with later. And the Dylan he met up with later was really guarded and paranoid. And it was kind of like they never met before, but they had met before and they had this whole really rich history. And it really wasn't that long prior to them meeting up this time. And he said it, everything just got really weird, but it's because, and it's a common theme throughout Dylan's, music uh, the early music and even the later music is that he's really just like looking for some kind of peace just like all of us are and that's what connects us to the songs so in in a way it's part of this un universal human experience of of seeking freedom or seeking relief from suffering or seeking liberation uh, and that's what he taps into because Really, each one of his songs has something to do with that. Or, I would say most of them have something to do with that. 
so that's why he was the the pick for this for this podcast the second uh podcast of uh, the second episode of the liberation tapes podcast um I'm really thankful for anybody who listened to this whole podcast because that was some super Bob Dylan geeking out uh, stuff there. And uh, what can I say? Uh, it was a joy to do. So anyway, I hope to see you Friday night, Eastern Standard Time, May 8th, starting at 8.30 for Take Me Disappearing, Bob Dylan's early songs of liberation streaming live on Facebook. You can find that on my Facebook site which is Kevin Briggs, and it's a public event. Uh, or I'm sure you can even uh, type in the title of it, Take Me, Dis or Take Me Disappearing, Bob Dylan's Early Songs of Liberation. And uh, it would be great to see you there. Also, uh, I, if you are able and feeling that you would want to make a donation, it would be possible to do so. Both my Venmo and PayPal account will be linked in the discussion area of the event and you can make a donation that way a portion of the proceeds or proceeds donations will go to two different uh, sources one a portion will go to the state college food bank because the food bank's super hurting right now there's all kinds of people that you know need all kinds of things and food is right at the top of the list uh, the other is here in state college where um there's an initiative going on right now to help support a bartender um, each week because bartenders are out of work and as musicians in the town, uh, the bartenders are friends, as are all the bar owners. Uh, and so I will be uh, giving a portion of the proceeds to the bartender of the week here in State College. And there'll be more about that during the, the show on Friday. <clears throat> um, but other than that... Uh, that's all for now. So I'm going to get this podcast under wraps, get it uploaded, do the show on Friday, and then start diving into some of these other topics. Thanks again so much for listening. Thanks to Luke Zimbala and the Band Junkies for sponsoring the show that's coming up here on Friday. And also thanks to the Broken Axe in Lock Haven, who's also sponsoring and going to promote the show. And um, also thanks to the Bartender a Week uh, organization, and uh, Renee Ford for for all of your efforts as well. Um, see you later, folks. <laughs>